0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi, I'm Danielle Strickland, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you. At The Well, I've heard great things about you and really respect uh, your church and the leadership here, and so, yay, I'm excited I get to be with you. I uh, was remembering... This uh, early on in my ministry, I was actually a basketball player. I played in a women's basketball league in my town. And there was a woman that was on my team who was also the councilwoman. She was on, on the city council. And I was thinking she'd be a perfect person to help me raise some money in my community for this after school program I had for some uh, kids that were in need. So I invited her over to have a look around and she saw everything that we were doing and she said, I love this so much You know, at our local church. She said, I love what you're doing so much, but I just want to, in full disclosure, let you know that I think Christianity is for the weak. And I remember saying to her like, good, I, I think you've, you've properly understood it. <laughs> and she kind of looked surprised at me and then she like ran off <laughs> kind of. And she sent me this furious email. I remember getting home and getting this email. And she said, like, I didn't mean to call you weak. Like, I wasn't trying to be insulting. I just wanted to be, like, clear. And I was like, I responded back to her saying, like, I didn't take it as an insult. I actually fully admit absolutely 100%. I am the weakest of the weak. I cannot do this life by myself. That's actually how I got into faith itself was through the entrance way of weakness. I had to admit that I didn't have the power I needed to live the way that I wanted to live. And so you're right. I. I'm weak and she wrote back again saying like no but I'm not saying you're weak because like I know you and you don't look weak and I like don't see weakness in you like it's like that's good news if you're a basketball player because I'm like that's right not on the court but like also I just don't see weakness in you and I wasn't trying to insult you And anyway, we this led to like this dialogue 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 and we talked she came from a very high-powered lawyer family as a matter of fact in her family I am weak or I can't was not allowed to be said And so she had spent her whole life just sort of like willing, like I will, I will, and like forced her way and white knuckled her way and, you know, like grabbed herself up by her bootstraps and she will sort of forcefully live her life and uh and i remember finally her calling me up saying like i just need to meet you right away in a coffee shop and she gets into the coffee shop and i sat down with her and then she just literally just was like i'm so weak (laughs) i'm so weak (laughs) like the secret's out of the bag you know like i can't do this like this life like this peace that i need on the inside i don't have like i can't escape this idea of like what people think about me and like how can i let go of that like i don't know how to like control my kids in a way to get them to not just behave but also to love me and be safe in this place like i can't make my husband behave the way and and you could feel like all this control and this desire and this like power that she actually lacked It was all the power she had we all understood that we could see it i mean she's like high power family it's a high power job she's got a high power profile with the city council but a power that she really needed she didn't have well not until she admitted she didn't have it (laughs) now my uh, councilwoman friend who actually became the mayor by the way got into faith Into a journey with God, not through some special power, not through some special understanding or some revelation. Quite the contrary, through a door called, I can't. This is a hard door, right? This is a hard door. The door of, I can't. If you do any 12-step work at all, if you know about addiction or how that works, if you know about how recovery works, which is even more exciting, you'll know. I remember going to a 12-step meeting and actually sitting down and listening to people thanking God (laughs) for their addiction. And I was like, uh, I don't understand this. Like this is outside my capacity to understand. You're thanking God for this thing that stole and destroyed and tried to kill you. Like this thing that like made your life feel completely out of control, like you're thanking. And they're like, if it was not for that, I would have never been able to enter the door of I can't. I mean, that door is nicely called surrender. In the 12 steps, it goes like this, I finally admit (laughs) that I cannot, that I am powerless over this, whatever this disordered addiction is. And the statistics in Canada and in this area, the stats are through the roof on addiction. I mean, it's it's gotta be cannabis these days, but if it's not, it could be alcohol. If it's not, it could be porn. If it's not, it could be uh, carbs. If it's not, it could be sugar. If it's not, it could be work if it's not this disordered attachment to try to take control or to try to escape in a way that I'm in control over all of this stuff is just like people white knuckling it everywhere. And the way out of that and the way into another way of life, a completely different way of living is through this door called I can't. It's through this door called I admit it. You got me. Or as my councilwoman friend says, I am so weak. Yes. There's a character in the Bible, one of my favorites, actually. I named my youngest son after him. His name is Moses. And Moses is kind of like the guy that like, you might know him even just from like movies. Like they keep remaking, the Prince of Egypt as Disney's, but they just keep remaking stories about Moses because the story of Moses is like the epic story of the whole Bible. It's a story of liberation. It's a story of getting oppressed people into freedom. It's God's design of, I hear the cries of my people and I won't leave them alone. And so I'm going to liberate them. And Moses is kind of the central figure in that story. And what's really interesting is when Moses is the central figure of that story, there's this encounter that he has. There's this moment that he has. But he doesn't have this moment. It's actually called the burning bush. It's in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read it in a a couple minutes. But he doesn't have this encounter uh, with the burning bush until he gets to what is affectionately called the end of himself. What I mean by that is until he gets to the same place that my councilwoman friend got to in that cafe that day where he finally says, I can't. Because Moses was rescued as a little baby, he grew up in the palace in Pharaoh's uh, house, one of the most powerful places in the known world at the time. I mean, people really kept up a myth that Pharaoh was God incarnate, you know, like he was treated as a God, everybody else existed to serve him. So he understood about power, but he was an oppressed people group. He was from the Israelites, these people who were oppressed by Egypt. So he lived this kind of like really strange life where he had all the power of the universe, but then he's like identified with like these people who were mistreated and actually enslaved and oppressed. And the scripture tells the story is one day he's walking and he sees something happen and we don't know for sure exactly how bad it is or what it was, but it enrages him because Moses starts to identify with the Israelites instead of just the Egyptians. And he enrages him and what Moses does is he actually beats this Egyptian who's beating up this Israelite and he kills him. That's what he's used to doing. He's used to using a power that takes, using a power that overcomes, using a power that consumes, using a power that gets what it wants when it wants it. That's, well, oh, that's the power he knows. That's the power of Egypt. That's the power of Pharaoh. That's the power of empire. That's the power that you and I know too. I mean, it's just the power of like, you'll get what you get. Like you take what is yours. You grab and you hang on and you hold and don't let go because you deserve, you're going to fight for it. You're going to make it. I mean, all of the myths of our dominant culture are about power over, taking control, about white knuckling, about banning the words I can't from our vocabulary (laughs) Until, until we can't. Uh, Moses gets there, he gets discovered what he does and then he becomes an enemy of Pharaoh and then Pharaoh's out like orders to him to be captured and he's like I got to get out of here and he runs which is the other thing we do if you can't fight what do you do you flee you get out of town and that's what he does he flees he runs until he realizes I can't this is too hard for me I can't change Egypt I can't even control myself and one of the things I, I really just am revisiting in this season is like, that's a beautiful place to be. I, I, I don't know if you're there yet, but could I encourage you? Like all those years ago, I encouraged my high-powered friend. It's okay. You're not alone there. There's actually a great company of people who've entered a doorway into a brand new way of life called surrender. It's okay to get there, to admit that you don't have it, to admit that this is too hard for you, to admit that there's things that you cannot do and there's things that you don't have the power over. As a matter of fact, you need a power greater than you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, do I ever. In the New Testament, Acts chapter one, so last Sunday, the whole Christian church around the world celebrated, not just in the park, uh, not just communion, not just baptisms, although that sounded really cool, but the whole Christian community celebrated Pentecost. That Pentecost, is it just means the word 50, it's 50 days after the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit comes on the believers. It's kind of the birth of the church the birth of the people of of Jesus, the Christians, the way of Christ. And uh, it starts with the disciples going, how are we going to do this? (laughs) It starts with the disciples entering the surrender door, entering that little tiny, I can't, like this job that you're giving us to do is to hard like how are we going to convince people that you are who you say you are like how are we going to uh, spread the news to the entire known world while we're like enemies of the state like how are we going to do this because Jesus in Acts chapter 1 is like I'm out of here but I'm sending the spirit of Christ the spirit of God who will be with you and who will lead you and who will empower you as a matter of fact Acts 1 8 says this you will receive power, that word power, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? That Acts 1.8. It's important to know though, I think it's important to know that the disciples still don't get that the kind of power they need is different than the kind of power they used to have. So in Acts 1, 6, the disciples are still asking Jesus, this is after the cross, after the resurrection, the disciples are still asking Jesus like, is now when you're going to overthrow Rome? (laughs) Because the disciples had been hoping their whole entire lives that what the Messiah would do, what Jesus would do, would change the circumstances of their life so that they would go from oppressed people to like the actual people in charge. And then they could stick it back to the Romans who had been sticking it to them. So they're still like trying to fight a power that is like this, right? A power over, a power to take. What they want is for Jesus to empower them to take back what is rightfully theirs. They want a power that comes over takes back, that suppresses, that pushes down. But Jesus is like, I have a completely different idea. (laughs) I have a power greater than that. I have a power that doesn't come over but comes under. I have a power that doesn't control people but liberates them. I have a power that's different from that power that you know, that's white knuckling it, that's fighting for it, that's trying to control it, that's trying to make something happen. I've got a different kind of power. Now that power, literally the word is dunamis uh, in Greek. And most of the preaches I've ever heard, the talks about this power I've ever heard, I will admit are done by men. And maybe this is the problem that they're just like addicted to explosives or something. But they always say that the root word of dunamis is actually dynamite and that that word is explosive power. The dunamis of God is this explosive power. It's always dynamite. But when I was doing my research and I looked up that word, I realized that the same root word of dynamite is also the same root of is dynamic. It's dynamic which talks a lot less about exploding things and a lot more about sustaining things. Then I flipped back to the story of Moses. And I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Something cool, because when Moses in Exodus three encounters the burning bush, now even if you never even went to Sunday school or you never went to church, you probably know about this story. It's kind of famous, it's a big deal. Moses is in the desert, the bush is on fire. And Moses is like, whoa, what's going on? But if you read the passage of scripture here, why don't we just do it together? I'm going to read you this in Exodus chapter three. So one day Moses is tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. So this is like he's exited stage left. He's got a different life. He's a shepherd now. All that Egypt stuff is behind him. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. So this bush is on fire, and the angel of the Lord. By the way, if you like Easter eggs in your series, the Easter egg in this passage of scripture is that the angel of the Lord is most often thought of as uh, as an appearance of Jesus before Jesus was born. (laughs) So it's an Old Testament Jesus sighting. So it's kind of, if you like Easter eggs, you can check it out later and look. They're all over the Old Testament. Jesus is Easter egging his way all through the Old Testament. But this is one of them. From the fire of the middle of the bush, Moses stared in amazement. Now listen, this is what he was staring at. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up this is amazing moses said to himself why isn't that bush burning up i gotta check it out now i thought for my whole life that the miracle of the burning bush was that the burning this bush was exploded on fire because i always thought like acts 1 8 right dunamis like the power of god the explosion you know the explosions what I didn't realize until I I, I I looked at the root word of dunamis is that that dynamic energy is actually what Moses was going to see. What he was most amazed by was not the fire; <laughs> it was the fire's nature. See. You already know this, but Moses grew up in the palace. I bet you they had pyrotechnics every night, like Disneyland at 10 o'clock, you know, before they go to bed. Just like, ta-da, like Pharaoh's, you know, the incarnation of the gods, you know, fireworks. Like he's not enraptured by power, that kind of power. He's seen that his whole life. What he's witnessing in the desert after he went through the I can't door, He enters through surrender. This is beyond me. I can't do this. This is past my capacity. I don't have the power. I need to change anything here. He encounters a different kind of power. It's a power that is dynamic. It's sustainable. It's creative. It can set a bush on fire without consuming the bush. (laughs) What kind of power is this? Moses asks and it's a good question. What kind of power indeed? Now if you want to track with me and go back to Acts chapter 1, right? We talked about you will receive power, that dunamis, which could be explosive dynamite if you're a guy or it could be dynamic sustainable energy if you're uh, connecting the story to Moses, right? The dynamic sustainable creative energy of God. I need a power within me That will not consume me, but will ignite me, will sustain me, will give me an energy that won't burn me up or take advantage or take me or control me or try to come over me. But will liberate me, will come under me, will set me free, will actually engage all of my own original uh, gifts and skills. Someone that will liberate me to be the person that God has always dreamed that I would be when jesus promises that to the disciples of course he tells them what it's for oh this is also kind of fascinating so it says the power will come upon you and you will be my witnesses the word witness actually there is translated martyr (laughs) i don't know what you hear when you hear the word martyr but like it's never good images for me (laughs) right it's like the end of your life But actually what a martyr is is not just a martyr complex you know if you're married you probably know about this (laughs) i don't mean that kind of martyr where it's just like a lot of moaning and groaning about what you did and people should be happy about it no no what martyr really means is someone who would lay down their life for someone else i want you to think about that the power that god is promising the disciples is not the same power that we've been taught about, that we know about, that we've seen demonstrated, it's different. It's not a power over. It's not a power that wants to control you. It's not a power that wants to dominate you. It's not a power that wants to consume you. God's power, the Spirit of Christ, Jesus' power, is a power that wants to come under A power that wants to liberate, a power that wants to set free, a power that wants to let loose, a power that embraces you so that you can actually become even more than you ever could without God's power. But not just for you. This maybe is the most miraculous thing at all of all about the power of God is that The power that God gives you will help you for sure. It will liberate you for sure. It will release you for sure. But why will it do that? (laughs) What's it for? The power that God gives to us is a power that helps us to lay down our lives for others. It's a power that we get to demonstrate who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, why Jesus even showed up, why he's here because His power is to be given away, is to love, is to serve, is to set free, is to liberate. Whenever power is not those things, it's not God's, (laughs) it's not God's. And I think in the season that we're in, I think a revisitation of even how we think about power. How we receive power and how we use power might actually be the topic of the day. When we're uncovering, even in our Canadian history, we're uncovering the way that the church has operated in a power that looks a lot like Pharaoh, right? We're gonna take land. We're gonna force people to talk in our language. We're gonna make people do what we say. We're gonna control people's behavior. We're gonna come over people and control them. That dominating power, that taking power, that consuming power, that's the most familiar power in the world, that's the power of Pharaoh. It's the power of empire. It's the power of Christendom. It's the power of institution. It's the power of the government. You know, it's all those sort of powers. That's not the power we need. We've tried that. What did that end up doing? Just like Moses, it ended up killing, it ended up stealing, it ended up destroying. This is true even in our own leadership, in our own lives. I don't know how this goes with you with parenting. You know, when your kid is rebelling against you and your impulse, your knee jerk reaction is to be like, ah, I'm going to control here. I'm going to dominate here. I'm going to like correct this behavior here. How does that work out? maybe you're a better parent than I am, but that never works out well for me. (laughs) What the end result of that is often is a killing of the relationship. It's a stealing of the love. It's a taking of what should be tender, what should be empowering, what should be good, what should be loving, what should be right. It never works, even though it's my knee-jerk reaction, that kind of power over. How does this work in your life, by the way? Let me just ask you a couple questions about that. How's it working with your like knee-jerk reaction to diet and exercise? (laughs) How does that taking control of that part of your life and taking power over and like shaming and blaming and fearing and control, how's that working out for you? (laughs) Yeah, there might be a different kind of power. If you can get to the place in your life, like millions of people in the world, billions of people around the world can get to, the disciples got to this place. I got to this place. I pray you're gonna get to this place. Moses got to this place. It's this beautiful, beautiful place of surrender. I can't, I just, I don't have what it takes. I am so weak. (laughs) That is the most liberating place to land. Because not only when you admit there's, A thing that you don't have power to do, that signals that there is a power greater than you that can do what it is that you can't. And that's what Jesus promised. That's what the disciples were looking for. That's what I need in my life, whether it's parenting, whether it's my own uh, disordered attachments, my own addictions, my own fear, my own mental health, If it, it, it's what I need when in my leadership, it's what I need at my work, when I'm in working relationships with other and my impulses to take and to grab and to grasp and to hold. I need a power greater than that power, greater than my power so that it will help me to loosen my grip, to allow God's power to flow through me instead so that I could actually use my life for something bigger than myself. Whew! Is that liberating? Here's a prayer I pray every day and I'm gonna invite you to pray it with me. And maybe you're in a place where you're just like, I think I gotta get to the place where I don't have it. I can't do it. That door of surrender, it's super tiny and small, but it's so good to get to the end of yourself. Maybe that's just where you are. And if you're there, good. You're in the right spot. You haven't done anything wrong. You've done something right. Getting to the end of yourself is the only way we get to the beginning of God. So in that place, maybe you have actually surrendered before and you've sort of given God control but not really realize that this isn't one decision we make one time, but a posture that we practice every day. Choices that we make every day to relinquish our control to a power greater than ourselves, which is this beautiful promised Holy Spirit. So if you wanna pray this with me, I I welcome you to do so. No pressure, you do it if it's liberating. I pray with my body, so I just hold my fists up like this and I clench them really tight. And I make this confession. I confess that my natural human tendency is to fight, It's to try to make something happen. It's try to defend myself or control situations. But I choose, as a follower of Jesus, to surrender. And I just, I lift my hands up in total surrender. Just say, like, I don't have it. I cannot do it. I surrender my life and my thoughts and my patterns and my addiction and my disordered attachment and my old ideas of control. I just surrender them to you, God. You can have all there is of me today. I surrender. And the second part of the prayer is a a posture of generosity and I'm gonna lead you through this next week as we continue what this power can do how we can access this power, what this power is for, and how we can operate in such a way that we would be examples, witnesses, martyrs of God's incredibly liberating power in the world. God bless you.